Today we are in our third week, beginning the third week of our Advent conspiracy. If you'll remember, there are four aspects to that. It is to, to love more, to spend less, to give more, and to worship fully. Today we're in the, the aspect of giving more. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that this is a, a fundraiser for the church. This is not what giving more is about. This is about the heart. This is about God developing in us a generous spirit so that when he touches us, whether we're in line at the grocery store or whether we're driving down the road, when God touches us, we're able to respond to his moving. And there are real benefits that we actually get back from it. And I'm going to share with those with you up front just so that you'll know that, that there's something that comes back to you when you give. A study done by Harvard Business School and published in their online magazine called Working Knowledge said that happier people give more, and giving makes people happier, such that happiness and giving may operate in a positive feedback loop. In other words, they play off one another. The more you give, the happier you are, and the happier you are, the more you give. In a uh, study that was done by the University of Chicago, it found out that, that giving, altruism, had some real positive benefits. First of all, it reduces stress. When you give, it actually reduces stress in your life. When, when you give, it boosts your immune system, which is really good this time of year. When you give, it boosts your immune system. In addition, it lowers your blood pressure. When you have a giving, generous spirit, it lowers your blood pressure. It normalizes your heart rate. And it also produces these things in your body called endorphins. Endorphins give you that sense of a natural high, a buoyancy, a, a happy feeling. It's, it's, it's God put them in our body, and, and it was exactly what I felt when I drove away watching the woman sharing the card with other people. There were endorphins being released in my body. God did that because he wants to affirm in us the positive nature of giving to other people. Giving not only benefits us, it benefits others, it also benefits us. It makes a difference in our lives. When it comes to giving, one of the passages that always floats to the surface for me comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me there. If not, the, the Scripture is on the screen. And here, the Apostle Paul, as he is led by the, the Holy Spirit, talks about our giving and the heart behind it all. He says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, you may have heard this passage preached dozens of times when the budget was a little bit behind and pastors trying to encourage their folks to, to give a little more to the church budget so that we can catch up before the end of the year. That is a legitimate application of the passage. It in no way uh, goes against what is being taught here. 
giving to and through the local church is it should be part of our normal giving. Uh, tithing should be part of our normal giving. If you look in the Bible, Jesus assumes the tithe. When he criticized the Pharisees, he didn't criticize them for tithing. He said, you ought to be doing that. But there are greater things, matters of the heart, you also ought to be doing. In, in Malachi, we're told that we're to bring the tithes into the storehouse. At that time, Malachi was talking about the temple. In other words, there are things that the temple performed, not just the rituals, but there were things that were done through the temple that affected the lives of the people. And when you give the tithe, and in my understanding of what the Bible teaches, the tithe comes to the church, and then it enables the church to do ministry out in the community. Jesus assumed that we would do that. And in fact, and I think a couple of Sundays ago, Lim Clark brought this up in his prayer. Tithing is the only thing where God asks us to test him. And no other other way is, does God ever tell us to test, put him to the test. But with tithing, he says, do it. Test me and see that I'm faithful enough that I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour blessings back into your life. Now, all that being said, this sermon is not about giving specifically to the church that's not the primary emphasis here. This church, this message is about having a generous spirit because giving is a matter of the heart. At least that's the way God wants it to be for us. Giving is a matter of the heart. You know, a person can give and even tithe and put no heart in it. And when he does or she does, it has very little meaning It's not the kind of giving that God desires from us. Notice again what the scripture said. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. First thing I want to say about that portion of scripture is that our giving ought to be thoughtful. We ought to put some thought into our giving. Why is it important to engage the mind? Why is it important that we think about what we give? And that word heart, you need to know this. In the, when we think about heart, we think about the emotions. In the Greek, that word heart went far beyond just the emotions. It also included our mind. And in fact, sometimes in the right context, that word cardia is actually translated mind in some of, you, in some of the passages. Because it has that concept of not just our emotions, but also of our, our will. And so all those things are tied together. So our giving ought to be, ought to be thoughtful. Now, how does that look? Why, why do we need to do that? Because I believe that there are some questions that you can ask yourself when you give to help you understand are you giving with the right motivation? Are you giving from the heart? And, and I'm going to share some of those with you, and I hope it will help you as you think about your giving. First of all, let's think about giving to our family and friends because it's Christmas time and, and we'll give things to family and friends. When we're giving to family and friends, what kind of questions ought we to ask? Well, how about this? Am I giving out of a sense of obligation or guilt? Am I giving simply to alleviate guilt if I don't give something? And I got to tell you, that's probably not the best of motivations. Another question you might ask is this. Am I giving to get something back in return? I don't know if you've ever given, exchanged gifts with someone and, you know, you do this. Or, or, or maybe it's a Christmas, Christmas card thing. It's December 23rd and you get a Christmas card from your great aunt and you go, uh-oh, we didn't send her one. 
So you, you hustle and you get the card and you send it and you mail it off. You know, it's just, it's just give and take, give and take, give and take. That's not really the heart behind giving is that we ought to give in order to get. Another question that we can ask is this. Will my given patterns put me in burdensome debt? That's a big one. There's so many people that come October, they're still paying off the Christmas bills from December. That's not the kind of bondage that God wants us to be in. That's not the kind of burden that we need to be carrying. As we try to compete with and, and to buy everything that the television tells us we ought to buy, when we do that, it puts us in debt, and God doesn't want us to be in that kind of debt. Another question is this, am I giving based on pre-planned budgeting? This is one of the hardest things to do, but it's one of the most effective things to make you someone who gives uh, thoughtfully. And then is to sit down and say, what are we going to give? What can we afford to give that doesn't put us in debt and allows us then to be able to be generous with other people and other opportunities that come along? It may be that you say, hey, listen, the best we can do is we exchange gifts with family and friends is $10 a gift or $20 a gift. But kind of set that limit and stick with that limit. And you may, you may be able to spill over a little bit here and spend 25 on one and 15 on another. Just don't tell them you did it. But trying to stick to that. Plan what this is what we're going to do. This is what we can do. And don't get caught into this concept of feeling guilty because you can't do more. Because it'll put you in that, that place of debt that you do not want to be. Another question is this. Am I giving things when I should be giving time and attention? This is huge. Am I trying to substitute stuff for me? Stuff for loving. Stuff for spending time with them. As we talked in our grace group about some of the gifts. And, and we, some of the gifts we remember. But most of the time we remember them because of the people who gave them to us. Or the results of building relationships or, or growing relationships that come out of those gifts, and we really don't remember the gifts themselves so much as the relationships. I can remember one of the vivid memories that I have is my grandfather. Now, I know what he gave us. Every year, my grandfather, who was a, had a small farm and a bunch of grandkids, and every year we'd gather around, and what he gave to every grandchild was a coin dollar. That's what he gave us. You don't see very many of those anymore. But that's what he gave us. And it was, it was such a neat thing to get. It was, that gift was worth a dollar. Okay, that was it. That little gift meant so much. And all the grandkids then would get around and we'd compare dates on the dollars and all, you know, mine's a little shinier than yours. But, but it, 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 was, it was a bonding thing for us. And I remember carrying that thing around and thinking about my grandfather, and it wasn't the size of the gift. It was the love that came from it, and it was the relationships that were built. Those are all important, and we need to think about the time and attention that we can give at Christmas and not just the things. And then another question you can think as you consider your family and friends is, does my giving show that I'm God's steward? Am I giving to impress someone else, or am I giving out of my faithfulness to God for, and, and doing, doing well with the things that he's entrusted to me because that matters. And so as you think about giving, and it may be too late, maybe you've already all, all got all your shopping done, but as you think about giving to family and friends, these are some questions that you can ask and help you as you really thoughtfully give. But what about giving to causes? I don't know about you, but 
you know, my mailbox is full and I, and I get all kinds of, of pleas for uh, help during Christmas time here at the end of the year, all kinds of things. Can you give? Can you give? What kind of questions can you ask and help you when you think about giving to causes? Well, the first one is, am, am I giving to causes that meet longer term needs? A lot of times you give to causes that put band-aids on cancer. They don't fix the problem. And so as you look at these causes that are asking for money, are they dealing with issues long-term or just meeting an immediate need? Something to think about. Secondly, another question. Um, Am I giving to causes that are consistent with my Christian beliefs? Am I willing to take a little time and dig to find out if this organization or this organization or this organization has a statement of belief that's consistent with where I am? And then another question you can ask is, am I giving to a cause for which I regularly pray? If you don't have the heart to pray for this ministry, then maybe God's not leading you to give to that ministry. What about giving to individuals in need? You've heard some of those this morning. What about looking for people who have needs? What kind of questions can I ask that will help me as I give to them? First of all, you can ask, am I giving simply to alleviate my guilt? You know, it's one thing if God tweaks you. It's another thing if you just feel guilty. And they're not necessarily the same thing. Second question, do I sense God's leadership to give to this person? That's what Janie just brought up earlier. And that's what Carrie brought up earlier is here I am in a situation. This is God's pulling at me to do this. It's not just guilt if I don't do it. It's that God is saying to do it. Another question is, am I giving in order to be recognized for my generosity? Now, not all of you are going to be able to do things clandestinely, you know, behind the scenes so that nobody knows who did it. And sometimes you think you're going to do that and you get caught anyway. But are you doing it so that people are going to know how generous you are? And if you're doing that, that's probably the wrong reason. Another question, is my giving supporting their bad decisions or lifestyle choices? And you're not always going to know, but there are lots of people who make bad decisions over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And simply by giving them money, it just enables them to continue the same behavior they've lived in. And sometimes that's not the most loving thing to do. Sometimes we hurt other people when we give in that way. And so drawing those lines and not being codependent with them is an important thing. And it's tough, especially when you're dealing with family members, to be able to draw that line and say, no, my giving actually hurts you. And then a final question that you can ask when you consider giving to other individuals who are in need is, is my gift fulfilling a want when I should be meeting a need? You know, I know that every child under the sun may want an Xbox, but if they don't have shoes and a jacket, there are, sometimes you have to be the adult and give what people need rather than just what they want. My grandmother was notorious for giving socks and underwear. I did not look forward to that gift, but I used them every day. It was, she gave based on, 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 this is something you need. I can't afford to give you necessarily what you want, 
but I will give you sacrificially out of, out of the little I have what you need. And sometimes that's what we're able to, able to do for people. And so this, this is not by any list an exhaustive questions that you can ask, but again, we're told to, to decide in our hearts what we're going to give. So we have to engage. You, you see, giving is not just a matter of the heart, but it's also, it's also a matter of, of the mind. And those two things together are what the Greek word heart talks about, means. And so as we give, we need to think about it. Also from this portion of Scripture, we can, we can glean this. Our giving should be willing. We're not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Our giving should be willing. I don't know, parents, maybe you haven't done this, but, but it certainly has happened in our house. You have a brother or sister that does something wrong to the other person, and you tell them to apologize, and they do. But there's not much heart that goes along with it. There's not a lot of meaning to it. Sometimes when we give, there's not a lot of heart and there's a lot of, a lot, not a lot of meaning in our giving. You see, giving can be hard, and we may give reluctantly. We may give under compulsion. That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to be a different kind of giver. Why is giving so hard? Whether you're, whether you're a day laborer or a multimillionaire, giving can still be just as hard. Why is it so hard? Because this stuff is ours. It's mine. And when I go into it with that mindset, I don't want people taking it from me. I don't want to give it up. It's mine. It is a dangerous thing when we assume the role of possessors rather than the role of stewards. And that's what God has called us to be, to be caretakers of what he has entrusted to us. And what we have to do is to come at it with a mindset that everything that I possess is actually God's on loan to me. So that I don't actually own any of it. My name may be on the title of the car. It may be on the title of the house. It, you know, it may be money may be in my wallet or my pocketbook. But in honesty, it is not mine. It belongs to God. It's all his, and he's allowing me to use it. There's a change of attitude that occurs and a change of action that occurs when we view ourselves as caretakers, as stewards, rather than as owners. Now, that does not mean we don't look after our own families. And sadly, I see this from time to time. People are so driven to give outside their families that they don't meet the needs that exist in their own home, giving time, attention, and funds to their own families. And this is what the Bible says about that. Anyone who does not provide for, the, for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I've got to tell you, those, those are strong words. God takes seriously how we manage our own homes and the time and the, and the investment that we make in our own families. That's where it begins. But it should spill over from there. Instead of saying... I don't take care of my family. I just give all my money away. The Bible is saying this. All that I have is at God's disposal. All that I have is at God's disposal. And I can give freely and joyfully because what I have is not mine. It's God's. And if God asks for it, 
I can then let go of it. A third truth that we can glean from this portion of Scripture is our giving should be joyful. God loves a cheerful giver. And, and some of you have heard that the word cheerful is, is the same Greek word from we, which we get our English word hilarious. That's a lot of endorphins. That's a, you know, I don't, when I did not hear a lot of laughing going on when the offering baskets were going. Now you were all watching the video, so I understand that. But God loves a, the Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. How can I be joyful when something that I have, something that I possess, I'm being called to give it away? How can that bring any joy to my life? Well, there is joy in being in the will of God to know that I did what God wanted me to do. You may be poorer for it, but there's joy in knowing that in this aspect of my life, I am right where God wants me to be. There, there's joy in following the example of God. John three sixteen begins, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. We're following the example of God. And that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Love leads us to give. There's joy in alleviating suffering. When you can ease someone's pain, heat their home, help them out in some way, provide them with a jacket, provide them with a meal, there is joy in that. There is joy in knowing that souls are being saved. When we watch these Lottie Moon videos, and many of you are giving very generously and sacrificially to this offering, when you watch that, what you're seeing is that there are fruits that are being produced and people are coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and there is joy in that. And if we're not rejoicing over that, there's something wrong with us because in heaven they throw a party when anyone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. We ought to be excited about that. It ought to, it ought to set us on fire. There's joy in knowing also in making a difference in the world, knowing we're making a difference in the world. There's joy in that. When we think of being salt of the earth, when we think of salt, we think about salt adding flavor. And that may be part of what Jesus was talking about when he's called us to be salt of the world. But in their time, salt was primarily used as a preservative. They'd rub the salt into the meat and it would keep it from decaying. It would slow down that decay so that you'd be able to eat that meat long after you had uh, killed the deer or the cow or wherever it was. You'd be able to eat that meat. Uh, I still remember my grandfather doing that, you know, salt pork, that, that they would do that every year. It was a preservative. And, and when the church is the church, when the church acts like the church in the world, displaying the love of God on a daily basis, when we do that, what we do is we make this world a better place. Many of you believe that there's going to be a time when God raptures the church, yanks, all, yanks the church away. i got to tell you, when that happens and the salt leaves, you think it's bad now. We are to make a difference simply by being here and expressing the love of God in this world. We make this world a better place. And there's also joy in seeing the faithfulness of God. Because we believe that if we give as God leads us to give, that he's going to take care of us. And that we can see how faithful he is to stretch out our paychecks, 
to make our money go a little bit further and to provide what we need even when he's called us to give some of what we have away. Christmas is called the season of giving. But as we think about Christmas as a season of giving, we need to understand that it begins with God's gift. The gift of his precious son. And we are to continue with that same heart of giving. So what am I calling you to do? First of all, if you've never received that gift, then that's where it all begins. What you need to know is this, that God loves you. I mean, he really, really loves you. And he wants you to spend all eternity with him in heaven. That's what God wants for your life. He wants to have a relationship with you right here on this earth and to call you his son or his daughter. That's what God wants. But you've got a problem. And that problem, you share it with everyone else in this building. That problem is sin. And what sin does is it separates us from God. Sin breaks that relationship that God wants to have with us. God cannot permit sin into his presence. He's holy. He's completely holy. God will not permit sin into his heaven. He's holy. That's not happening. So if we're sinful and he's holy and God wants this relationship with us, but we've got this sin problem, what can we do? Well, I guess we could climb in the bathtub and try to scrub ourselves clean, but that's not going to work. Or we could do what some people do and try to make sure that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, but you know what? It never gets rid of the sin. It's still there. What can we do? Well, the answer is nothing. There's nothing that you and I can do to make ourselves right with God. There's nothing that we can do to fix this relationship that's been broken by sin. There's nothing we can do to remove this sin from us. But God still loves us and he still loves you and he wants a relationship with you and he wants you to go to heaven. How is that possible? Christmas is all about this. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever may believe in him as Savior and Lord should not perish, that is, be separated from God forever, but have eternal life. In other words, Christmas is about a gift that God has for you of eternity with him in heaven and a relationship with him right now. And God desperately wants you to have this gift. He wanted it so much that he sent his own son to die in your place to pay the price for your sin. What an awesome gift. No greater gift has ever been given. If you get a a, a silver Lexus with a red bow in your driveway on Christmas morning, it won't nearly compare with the gift that God has given you because one day, you know what? That Lexus will break down. One day it'll rust itself away. But eternity goes on forever. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ goes on forever. And and God this morning is offering a gift to you. If you need to receive that gift, today's the perfect day to do it. The perfect day to open up your heart and say, God, I want what you have for me. I, I love you and I'm so sorry for my sin. And I'm turning away from that. And I'm, I'm embracing your son as my savior. And I want to follow him forever. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say might be saved. It doesn't say there's a good chance he can be saved. It doesn't say well, there's a possibility he, he'll be saved. But the Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved.
If you need that this morning, I've got to tell you, the door's wide open for you. And in a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. It's going to be the last song we sing. If you need to receive that gift, I want to just ask you to stand up right where you are and walk down the aisle and come and tell me, you know, I need to receive that gift. And we've got some people who would love to pray with you about that to help you receive it. For others of you, you've received that gift. And what I'm calling you to do now is to be a giver. Not just a giver of monetary gifts to the church. That's not all God's looking for. But someone who has a generous spirit. Someone who's on the lookout for ways to show love to family and community and students and co-workers. Someone who reflects the character and the heart of God in this world. This world desperately needs the church to be the church. This world desperately needs us to be stewards and not owners. This world desperately needs for us to share what God's given us. We're not to hoard it. We're not to say it's for me and nobody else. We're called to give generously this gift of love to a broken and hurting world. If you need to receive Christ, now is your time. If you need to become a giver of love, now is your time. Whatever God's calling you to do, you respond.